Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Lady Gaga demands the rights to concert photographs, laser focusing to replace the dreaded focus hunt, and one New Yorker's quest to return a lost roll of film ends in Paris. Plus a special interview with Mr. Trey Radcliffe. It's Saturday, March 12, 2011, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to Whip. This is your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Tyler Ginter, Catherine Hall, and Mr. <laughs> Rick Salmon, a.k.a. Papa Salmon. <laughs> well, all, all I can say, Frederick, is I wish uh, we had recorded what went on before we came on the air, because that was a lot we, you know, we got to do that because Callie, yeah. Callie Lewis does that and does, pulls the outtakes from her shows because yeah. that's that's the meaty part right there. We got yeah. to start recording. <laughs> I'm going to start clicking record before I tell you guys I'm clicking record and then I'm going to fake it and say, OK, now I'm really clicking record. <laughs> Well, actually, I, I did do that. I'm, I'm on Skype with Call Record, and I'm going to put that up before the show airs. You should <laughs> totally kidding. do it. I, you should do <laughs> it. Kidding. You totally should kidding. do it. Uh, well, anyway, uh, Catherine Hall, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you here. It's going to be a really good show. Lots of stuff to talk about this week. And you heard from Papa Salmon, Rick Salmon. Rick, what have, what have you been up to recently? Anything uh, crazy and outrageous? Well, trying to keep busy. I have a new app, uh, HDR. Uh, it's called Rick Salmon's HDR Portfolio, uh, developed by Dr. Dave Wilson, who you know. Yes, and, uh, yeah, he did a great job. I mean, uh, I don't know anything about app development, so it's great to work with app developers. Yeah, that's cool. And just, just so for the folks that, that may be curious, Rick Salmon's HDR Portfolio isn't a portfolio of Rick Salmon's work. It is actually a class, a tutorial on how to do some really crazy, cool HDR stuff. Rick, mm-hmm. bef- before we go on, just, just tell us what it is, because I, I, I got a quick preview of it from uh, Dr. Wilson yesterday. So just like a quick <laughs> five second of it. Yeah, Dr. Wilson, I love that title. But basically what it is, it's my very, very best HDR pictures. And what's cool about the iPad is uh, Dr. Dave developed this thing called HDR Dissolve. So you see like the middle exposure, and then you tap it, and then it goes into the HDR image. And along with that, I have all the original images, whether they're 3, 2, or 5, or 7, or 9, or whatever, and text that goes along with it, and the exposure information. So it's, uh, I think it's like a great, probably the best way to learn uh, HDR. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And then also on the show is finally back on again, Mr. Tyler Ginter. Hey, Tyler. Hey, what's up, man? How you been? I'm doing okay. So catch us up on what you've been up to. I, I, if memory serves correctly, you are a civilian now, right? Yes, finally, officially done <laughs> the PR. Welcome to the world, uh, my friend. Yes, yes, freedom. No, but... um. Yeah, I've been working on this collaborative film for the past month and actually came back to transition out of the Army. And then I'm heading back out next week to keep filming out of Montana in the cold, cold weather. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty fun. We got a lot of photographers and uh, uh, filmmakers out there, and we're kind of working together on this documentary for the Rescue Ski Patrollers. So. That's really cool. 
Well, yeah. welcome. I can't wait to see it. When is that going to come out? Well, the trailer should be out um, probably in the next, hopefully in the next few weeks after we finish. We got some more filming we got to do and, and photography got to do out there. And then the trailer will be up. And then probably, you know, six to seven months later, the documentary should be out. So very cool. All right. All right, guys. Well, uh, before we jump into the news, I just wanted to give a, a mention what happened earlier this week over in Japan. The 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 uh, tidal wave or tsunami that hit Japan and, and wreaked havoc and continues to wreak havoc over there. Um, now, that's not necessarily photography newsworthy, you know, from the standpoint of how-tos and all this stuff that we talk about on the show. But I just wanted to bring it up a little, and, and specifically because Rick Salmon and, and Catherine Hall, and you too, Tyler, on the show, and you guys have been sort of bouncing around the world, and you know what happens in that kind of under duress situation to photographers. So I was hoping you guys could give us a glimpse into maybe what photographers are going through over there trying to get the shot and get it out of a nation that is under duress and, you know, maybe has compromised telecommunication facilities and all that. How do you how do you shoot there? Tyler, why don't you tell us like when you're when you're deployed and you say you were deployed and you needed to cover this particular disaster, what do you do? Well, yeah, our unit might actually be going – my previous unit in the Army, the combat camera, you know, probably be going over there to, to cover some of it. And we were in uh, Pakistan as well when, when, you know, disaster broke out there. And it's just – it's one of those things that, I mean, you need photojournalists over there to be able to show what's going on. But there's – it's such a powerful uh, – you know, and especially in, in a country like Japan where there's so many so – many, uh, innocent people that have been caught up in this and it's it's really sad but you got to sometimes as a photographer put that kind of uh filter on yourself emotionally and be able to capture those moments and i think uh so far i know we've talked about on the show before but the big picture blog has some amazing yeah. uh photos they put together but they put together a really incredible portfolio and i think it just shows the world i mean it's such a sad event but it's still a sh- the world needs to see what's going on so um, it's, you know, if you're ever caught in those situations, you need to go photograph, you got to somehow separate that emotional connection to the story. Not like saying you're not going to find the story emotionally, but you have to be able to kind of break through. So it's definitely a challenge. So how do you get the story out of there? So you're, you're in there shooting, you're on the ground in the middle of, you know, whatever city that got one of the cities that got hit and there's no facilities. How do you take the photos and how do you get them out if you can't? I mean, is it a sat phone or what, how do you get those images from that location to where people can see them? Yeah, well, we've we've used uh, BGANs. It's a broadband global area network in the past. And I know a lot of photojournalists use that for CNN in different, different locations. Um, it, they're extremely expensive. It's about $5 a megabyte to transmit. But it enables you to push imagery out of those locations. The other thing is just finding the right connections and building personal relationships on the on the ground when you get there so you can meet or greet certain people that can maybe help take you into certain locations and and finding the right the right you know the right people it's it's one of those challenges being a photojournalist and not having i mean it's a little bit different in the military because you you embed with you know certain units so you're able to access through that way but as a photojournalist on the ground you have to find your own connections in order to get to the locations you need to be so i know a lot of a lot of the pictures that come out, um, a lot of the people are from Japan. The first ones obviously come out, and they're the local photojournalists, and they have easier access just because they know the area better. Um, but then when some of the U.S. – I know I have a friend uh, that's getting in right now to do um, news reporting out of the location to shoot, shoot film. But uh, it's just that challenge of getting in into those locations. Yeah. 
Now, Rick, what about you? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, of course, you're not you're not a photojournalist per se. That's that's charged with documenting and bringing the news back. But you have been in these kinds of areas, shooting, you know, under duress. Well, from a civilian standpoint, mm-hmm. what would you do when you if you were in this kind of location? Well, uh, I would be safe, you know. <clears throat> but actually, since I had my son, which was actually 20 years ago, I've changed uh, my philosophy on shooting. Before my son, I was like ice diving in, in Lake Baikal under three feet of ice with a rope tied onto my wrist in case I died, they could get the body back, right? Yeah. Since I had my son, I've been a lot more careful. I don't know if I do that anymore. Yeah. So I think of my family uh, and my safety. But uh, yeah, I have such great respect for people who go out there and, you know, risk their lives to to get the shots to bring to bring the pictures back but you know i had an interesting realization this morning uh actually it was yesterday when i was watching the devastation and the helicopter pilots flying over saying uh, you know where are the people we don't see any people so from a, a personal standpoint you know i was very sad but also 10 years ago, I would have said, man, National Geographic is going to do a great job on this. I can't wait for the issue to come out. Yeah. Now, it's out. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly, the same day. It's everything's it's out remarkable. the same day. And on that note, I love National Geographic. I canceled my print subscription to National Geographic and now get it on the iPad. I mean, it's, it's just instant now. And, and I think that makes all this stuff, uh, you know, more powerful because, you know, we're able to... Um, uh, you know, share the shock, so to speak, of this. Yeah, you shoot it, you know? and they see it, right? Just like that. You shoot it, you see it, and we don't have to wait. So, you know, technology is amazing. And I think one of the great things about it is, you know, all these countries now, including the United States, have pledged to give money and help and uh, food and supplies, and and the world doesn't have to wait. Uh, you know, to, to start helping. So that's really great about all this stuff. Yeah, Catherine, you, you're no stranger to being, you know, sort of deployed into different locations that are, that are either third world countries or in, 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 in you know, just not your normal sort of com- comfortable area. What do you do when you're there as a, as a photographer trying to get the story so that you are, you remain safe, number one, and number two, you get the shot and you can take it back with you? What, what's your process? Uh, well, I think just two points that I think would be very helpful, kind of touching on what Tyler already mentioned, would be um, coming from a place, I mean, this won't keep you safe per se, <laughs> but you really do have to learn to emotionally disconnect. And what I mean by that, I'll just give you a quick story. I did a series of work for nonprofits in Vietnam, photographing in hospitals, and the doctor took me into the ICU unit, and I was in there for about an hour photographing the environment. We got in the elevator. The doctor took a deep breath and said, wow. I said, what? He's like, well, you just passed medical school. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, I've, ne- you know, I've never seen anyone go into that type of environment and be able to function and work. And he was basically going on to say, that's the hardest part of becoming a doctor is letting go of that emotional connection and being able Mm. to perform and do your job in situations that may be emotionally overwhelming. So I think, I think that's sort of, uh, um, if you, if that's something that you have innately, and I'm not saying I'm not sensitive, insensitive or that I am insensitive. um, But I, what I am saying is that, if you have that sort of ability to perform under pressure and in intense situations, then perhaps that type of photography is a good fit for you. Um, as far as actually getting 
the shot per se. I think one big tip to take home is actually just making sure that you have a guide, somebody that speaks the language and knows the area that's going to cut through so much. And that goes on what's already been previously discussed by Tyler, but having those local connections so that you can get your images out and that you have someone translating the language. And that's going to, it may be a bigger expense up front, but it's going to save you so much time and money in the back end. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What One thing that popped into my head while you were talking, Catherine, is that a lot of photographers, um, like one of, one of the, the guys that helps behind the scenes on TWIP, Ernest, um, was going to shoot the space shuttle, the last space shuttle launch a couple of weeks ago. And he said basically he wanted to shoot it, but he didn't want to shoot too much because he thought he would miss the actual event with his own two eyes. And what you triggered in my head was maybe the reverse of that is a positive when you're trying to be the photojournalist and document these sort of horrific situations. The camera sort of acts as the buffer to reality for you. And you can shoot the event where, you know, when you're seeing it through the lens, maybe something subconscious in your brain says, oh, this isn't really real, you know, that kind of thing. And you can get the shot. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's very true. And then then when you get home, you deal with it emotionally. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard. Then you go through the photos. and you have to Exactly. It's it's like, not- uh, you're like, I was there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who shot this? Yeah. Not immune. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, before we move on to the to the news, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor. This particular episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. You can create a website that's uniquely you, display your photos from Flickr or a blog or wherever, wherever there's an RSS feed that you'd like to pull into your site to go alongside the content that you create. You can create the uh, website design and pick the colors, whatever you want. Whatever you want to communicate, basically, you can... Say it easily with style using the squarespace.com back end and picking templates and then modifying them for your own needs. We've got tons of stuff in there, as we talk about on the show all the time, that they, they sort of built this back-end slash front-end things to allow what I call sort of the path of least resistance into getting a website or blog published online. So you can log in from wherever you happen to be, you know, Starbucks or whatever, create a web presence, make it look however you want, um, throw your forum in there, your gallery, put forums up there, Twitter integration, Google Maps, all that stuff into this one experience and then publish it and you're online just like that. And then you can manage this directly from your iPhone and moderate comments and all that sort of thing. So it's pretty interesting, pretty powerful, and it's up there. And the cool thing is they have a free trial. And if you'd like to get a free trial of Squarespace, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip t-w-i-p you don't need a credit card you can try it out build your website and then if you choose to keep it you can extend it and keep going that's again squarespace.com slash t-w-i-p all right on to the news the first story here is uh on a lighter note but still a little bit controversial is lady gaga (laughs) so so you hey wait a minute rick do you know who lady gaga is I love Lady Gaga. <laughs> okay. I do. I have one of those meat suits. That's I'm going awesome. to point I'm wearing a meat suit, and I'm going to arrive in an egg. That's See, I'm hip. I know this stuff. That's, awesome. That's Papa Gaga right there. Papa she Gaga did. in the house. She grew up on Long Island. 
That's awesome. Well, if you if you're familiar with her concerts, they're pretty spectacular. They gigantic set pieces, you know, music blaring and dancers flying around. It's just you know surreal. Um, and it's you know as they say, it's a it's an uh, what do they call it? An unimaginable experience if you're a music fan. But if you are a photographer, you're in trouble because she is basically said. Either Lady Gaga or the people who run her concerts said that uh, photographers that have taken photos at her concerts need to surrender the copyright of those particular photos. So what I wanted to bring up to this quorum is, is that right? You know, I know you pay for tickets, you go in there, and they may or may not say no photography at the front. But when you snap that shutter, is that your shot or does that shot belong to the Gaga? Tyler? Yeah, this is a interesting story and i read more about the article and apparently this isn't the first time this has happened with certain bands but it's definitely one of the biggest like mainstream ones that i think is getting a lot of publicity just because of how big lady gaga is and i it, you know it's it, i think a lot of this is targeted a lot more towards the photographers that are actually there to shoot and not i don't think she'll be able to con- i don't i don't know but it would be hard for her to be able to control everybody that's like in the front row with cameras to take photos if they sneak something in but i think they're really targeting here towards um you know these either photojournalists or concert photographers which is already a hard enough business as it is i mean uh i got to shoot uh ludicrous for some friends and we only got i mean he only lets you uh photograph for the first two songs and then kicks mm-hmm. all the photographers out and so you know it's a challenge as it is just to get the shots that you need but then to to throw on it that you can't use them for your own copyright is uh that's a i don't know it's a huge thing and so you know i'm not a i don't haven't done a lot of commercial stuff so i don't know if and somebody else can maybe correct me on this but do you have copyright of an artist that you film or do you still need to get a uh like a, a release from that from that artist like if you film lady gaga or you, you shoot her on stage i mean if you wanted to sell those, would you still need? Because I know photojournalism is a lot different because you're going to give it to the newspaper and the newspaper has that. Sometimes the newspaper you even work for takes away the copyright from you. So, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's just one of these frustrating things that I think, you know, takes less power away from the or more power away, more power away from the photographer and gives it into kind of the artist. I, maybe they should strike and no more photography later. Gaga concerts. No, I don't more, know. no more striking. Catherine, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? Have you, have you had the pleasure of, of photographing at a, you know, a famous concert kind of thing? And if so, what's the, what's the copyright implications? Well, I mean, I don't really know the ins and outs. I have photographed at concerts, but it's not certainly not my, you know, business. Um, yeah. So, I don't know the ends and rights of the copyright laws and regarding that, but I would assume, I mean, anytime that you're selling images, you have to have a model release. If you're, if it's not for editorial use, meaning exactly. use or journalism. So if you're selling it for profit, commercial advertising in that realm, then um, you need a release. So I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, the interesting thing from with this is, is she kind of has the right to, set any restrictions she wants to set mm-hmm. yeah because when you buy that ticket you're entering into a contract yeah. that says hey i will i will abide by the rules that you set forth i won't bring my dslr and i won't do a b and c right yeah so even though obviously i'm a photographer and i'm all about photographer rights 
it is also her right as an artist to set her terms for her concerts. And if that means she has less great photos of her concerts and that's the result, then yeah. that's the result. But, it, you know, it's it's our just we can't control what artists restrictions are, but we can control whether or not we want to pursue that avenue. So meaning I can't control what Lady Gaga says is OK or not OK. Rick, you want to you want to give us your thoughts? On well, that? you hit, you hit me with you hit me with. Do I know Lady Gaga? I'm gonna hit you with. Do you know Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> I do know who Jimmy Buffett is. Okay, do you think Jimmy Buffett would say this? You know, oh, you know, you have to give up the copyright. No, I don't. I don't think he would. Uh, and you know, because he seems like a nice guy. And here's the thing. This is how I feel about it. First of all, I'm not a lawyer. And I think if you had three lawyers on here, they might actually the three lawyers might have different points also. But here's the thing. When Lady Gaga was starting out, however many years ago, five, seven years ago, right, she would have paid photographers to take the pictures, to put them up on their blogs, to be on the cover of magazines, to get famous, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right, of course. And But that was you know, then, this is now, right? Well, well, you know, I, this, what I'm going to say ties into this. <clears throat> I was telling my friend I feel sorry for Michael Douglas, you know, who has cancer who doesn't look that great right now, and all the paparazzi are, like, slamming him. You go through the supermarket stands, you see him on the cover of the Inquirer and, and whatever, looking like, you know, looking like hell, right? Yeah. And I said to my friend, I feel sorry for him. Well, my friend says, well, you know, when he was just starting out, he wanted to be on the cover of the magazines because he wanted to get famous, so you got you to do it both ways. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm not a lawyer. But I think it's a, really a reflection on, on on a person. Like I said, Jimmy Buffett wouldn't do it. I don't think. Yeah, I think I think this technology stuff is catching up to to public performances though, because right now they can they can restrict DSLRs and long lenses right. and all that stuff from getting into these concerts, but they can't restrict you from bringing your cell phone in there. Now the optics and the, you know the the the, uh, the sensor is not going to give you a decent shot generally that you're going to try to reproduce produce and sell posters from not from today's cameras but hey 10 years from now you know you never know which means you know what are they going to do then when i walk up in there with my iphone 14 and (laughs) take a photo and it's ultra high resolution and low light is beautiful and i get a shot that i can do anything i want with so that's yeah and that's that's the challenge and what's saying that these photographers that are just fans that are in the front row aren't being able to take better photos than anybody else and are they making everybody sign a you know a copyright release when they walk into a concert i think that's that if that is the case then that's you know it's it's gonna it's gonna hurt her in the long run in my opinion i i think there's this new you know and it's interesting from coming from her standpoint because she's kind of made it a lot on the internet through youtube and through viral videos and things like that and so she's kind of turning her back on those fans you know that's what i'm saying yeah exactly and and one of my biggest favorite bands is okay go and they ditched their label over their youtube videos that they've created and they've been able to market themselves completely online so yeah if you turn your backs to your fans or even to any photographer that's really there to make you look better for for 90 percent of the time and 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 get your photos out there to more people i think it's a bad move in my opinion i think it's just greedy short-term greed it's going to Backfire. So yeah, so let's move on to this next story, which is this is kind of in a different bent. This is more technology related, uh, but still interesting. And I'm I wonder why this hasn't happened yet. And maybe the military has some some gear that does this. But this is uh, for a company called Deluxe Gear announced uh, a pinpoint laser system to help eliminate focus hunting. 
Um, and f- basically focus hunting for the, the photographers who may not be familiar with it is when you have a, a DSLR or any camera that's autofocus, when it basically racks back and forth to try to find the area of highest contrast between out of focus and in focus and whatever's the highest contrast, it thinks that's focused, you know, and then it allows, and then it says, okay, this is in focus. You can take the picture. So what they're saying deluxe gear has done instead of using the contrast method, they're using a laser to pinpoint focus. And then you take the picture. So Tyler, um, is this military technology that's finally being released into the wild, kind of like GPS? <laughs> Not that I've heard of yet, but um, yeah, I, I really like this. And I think um, we need, I think Karen manufacturers need to take a new look at, you know, moving autofocus into the future. And I, you know, contrast autofocus is amazing for a lot of what you do in, in daylight and a lot of circumstances you have good lighting. Um, but once you start to move into low light situations and especially some of the astro work and astrophotography I've been doing, it's, you know, you ha- literally have to point a flashlight at something or, or shine something to, to get your focus sharp on what you want. Right. So I think this is a really interesting, uh, piece of equipment for certain types of photography they talk about macro photography and different stuff like that so you know maybe in the future we'll see this might be the new autofocus who knows later on down the line i think right now it's an interesting add-on i hope so now rick salmon um Mm -hmm. i've seen most of the videos i see you when you're lugging around a big tripod and and probably manual focusing do you do you use autofocus generally when you're out and about doing your hdr shots and all that well, actually, the only reason you see me lugging around the tripod now is because, you know, I'm shooting HDR. But before HDR, I actually hated tripods. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I have a focus device, too. It's, it's a flashlight that you get at Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, about macro photography, if you're doing macro photography or close-up photography, I think you really want to use a ring light. And all these ring lights have modeling lights in them. You know, the two ring lights I have have modeling lights. So that helps there. If you're shooting in really low light, uh, all the uh, top of the line, even middle of the line flashes have these focus assist beams, which project that little pattern that helps the uh, camera focus. So I haven't run into a situation uh, where actually a flashlight didn't do the job for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do you remember Rick? The uh, you're, are you Canon or Nikon? I forget. Okay, but I think Canon had the same thing, but on the ground glass, on the old Nikons, it used to be the split prism where exactly, it, it was in that, focus right. when you mm-hmm. when you brought the two halves yep. of the hole together. Yep. I miss that. <laughs> well, that, and uh, my father had a, a speed graphic. Uh, he had a couple of viewfinder cameras, and uh, you know you would adjust the viewfinder until the two images lined up. But he had right. a split image. I, I love the split image. Yeah, they need to bring that back. I think they may have a replacement ground glass for for mm-hmm. today's SLRs that can do that. Mm-hmm. Catherine, what about you? I mean, do you are you this first off, do you, when you're shoot you say you're out shooting one of the weddings that you do, is the camera in autofocus or do you just keep it in manual so that you can, you know, react faster than the computer? Oh, I definitely am in autofocus 90% of the time. Oh, okay. Got it. So would would a laser pinpoint laser system help the, the wedding photographer or is it just not that 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 uh Serious. Well, I have problems focusing all the time. So it's definitely one of my biggest aggravations is the racking back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Uh, especially and particularly in low light situations, obviously. I guess the only negative would be you're already kind of obtrusive. So I don't know about having like green lasers going on. <laughs> <laughs> the laser on the bride's forehead. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> video light on her, laser light on her, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So that would be one. And the other thing is I'm looking at it and it looks like it's mounted on the bottom. 
which seems kind of, I mean, I guess it has to be if you have your flash on the top. Yeah. But it from a profile standpoint, I'm just, I mean, I don't know how, because I'm always holding it from the bottom. So I'm not sure how the profile would affect my shooting, having something extra on the bottom of my camera. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I have to try it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. Hopefully this is, uh, at least there, there's work being done in this area to help with the focus hunting piece, because I know that's a big, I mean, that's one of my big issues, too, is, you know, it, with just the main thing with an image is it needs to be in focus and lit properly and composed properly. If you don't get that, then you've got a bunch of soft pixels, right? So we shall see. Well, Frederick, you just taken in a Photoshop, make it grainy and black and white. Oh, well, there you go. You just make art from it. Yeah, there you go. I meant well, to do that. <laughs> can I throw in uh, something, Frederick? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you get an out of focus picture, here's the thing. And I'm serious about this. You know, one out of focus picture is a mistake. 20 out-of-focus pictures is a style. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Or, or 20 mistakes, maybe? Or 20 mistakes. <laughs> really. Some people have built their reputation on soft, like Robert Farber, David Hamilton. They built their reputation on soft, grainy, slightly out-of-focus pictures, which I love. Rick, don't yeah. think I don't know what's going on here. You're trying to get the TWIP audience to shoot out-of-focus pictures to make your pictures look better. I know what you're doing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's ingenious. I have one thing to put on that. I was judging albums at WPPI this year, and one of the judges, David Beckstead, was on the panel with me. And an album came through, and the whole thing was out of focus. And and all of us, you know, knocked the photographer's points down for this. And David's sitting there going, I love it being out of focus. Out of focus is a style. So I guess it's subjective. Yep. Hey, hey, you know, wag the dog. Go ahead. Hey, Frederick, can I just jump in one more thing with the product actually sure. about this, or should I wait to the end? No, no, go for it. Because Topaz Labs, you know, Topaz Labs, they're, mm-hmm. they're popular for, you know, a bunch of uh, plugins. Yep. But they, they came out with one, uh, a plugin a few, maybe about two months ago called Topaz In Focus. Mm-hmm. And yep. it really works amazingly well. It really does. Well, Rick, I, I tried that. I actually did a tutorial with that piece of software. And I I had not so good results with it. So no? maybe I will test it again because I basically I, I did soup to nuts with it. I took it out to Half Moon Bay down here in California and took some shots out of focus in a range and brought them all back home and did a screencast recording of me trying to fix right. the focus. And I got negligible results huh? with it. So maybe, hmm. maybe, you know, some people say you were doing it wrong or whatever, but I am not sure what happened. Well, that's hmm. definitely the next the next big feature. Taking basically the concept of HDR right. but for focus, so it takes multiple focus planes throughout your one raw photo, and you can dial it back in. I mean, I forget who, what college or university already has like working prototypes of this kind of technology, but it's definitely going to see its way mainstream. And then you know, we won't have to worry about focusing anymore. It'll just yeah. be like be like white balance. We can. Well, uh, the, the government dial it probably back has in. it. The government yeah. probably has it. They could get a yeah. sharp picture of a license plate from a, you know eight miles high. Yeah, 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 that's true. I know Adobe has. I forget what the what the name of the lens is. Yeah, yeah. But it's that that lens that basically mm-hmm. looks like you know, it looks it. like yeah, a yeah, fly because yeah. it's yep. it's looking yep. at it's a bunch of separate focus points, and then um, through software it brings them all together, and you can then rack the focus again in software. So yeah, we'll see. We'll it's see. Be awesome. 
<laughs> I hope I'm around to see that when that happens. If you, lose, if you live to be as old as I am, Frederick, you will. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And then, the, then the camera, you just push a button and I'll sit back, and that's, that's the next camera out from there. Yeah, that's when they, they put a port on the back of your neck, and you just think yeah, about yeah, the shots. Yeah. Just yeah. think about the shot. Yep. All right, guys, this, this last story that I want to talk about is um, this is pretty interesting and it's all it's kind of romantic. So basically, this guy was out cross country skiing um, uh, and found a roll of film and decided that he was going to get that roll of film back to the owner. So I guess he developed it and then tried to do a little, uh, you know, try to sleuth his way back to the owners to deliver the, the film back to them. And uh, he, I, I'm not sure if he found them. T- Tyler, did you did you read the story? Did he actually find the people? Yes, he did. He went all the way over to I forget which country. Paris. Uh, Paris. Uh, yes, and met up and had tea. Actually, with that's not a country. One. That would be a city in France. <laughs> city, but <laughs> in France. But uh, yeah, actually sat down and and hung out with them and just a remarkable yet stalkerish story but i think it just shows it shows how connected everybody is these days and how amazing the internet can be for certain things it just brings people together and just found a lost story and kind of uh really interesting i was just thinking about wouldn't that be cool though just to like to leave say a a cf card or a cheap sd card or something with a bunch of visual clues on it and say, if you find me based on these clues, I will give you this particular prize. You know, so you just like go out somewhere and leave it there. And I don't know. I mean, it, it would be a, a test of human nature. Would they just keep the card and delete everything on it? Or would they try to find the owner? I don't know. Catherine, what would you do? If you were sitting out at Starbucks around the corner from your house and you saw a CF card there, would you grab it and then try to sleuth your way back to the owner to give it back to him? Or would that go into your camera bag? <laughs> I mean, since I photograph weddings, there's such a connection to how important these cards can be. And so I would definitely see if I could find its rightful owner. But if there wasn't any, if it was looked like a family vacation, there was no defining marks, such as anything that would directly connect to me, I think I would at that point just... I certainly wouldn't go on the quest to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> you would not. And this is a this is a roll of film. They actually took the film to get it developed. I mean, I'm just I don't know if I would do that. I I don't know. Would you guys like actually? T- it seems so weird, just kind of like getting in other people's privacy. But I guess I mean, luckily there wasn't anything crazy on the roll. Yeah, because like, then you might have been making a trip to the police station instead of. The- <laughs> So Rick, Rick, what would you do? You're you're out and about somewhere in in your area up there. I know you live in the woods. Would you and, yeah. you, and you found you found a roll of film next to a tree up there? What, yeah. What would you do with it? Uh, well, before the story, I might have just uh, you know I might have thought differently. But I, I might if I found a memory card right now, I might do this. You know, post a picture on the Facebook and see if anybody recognizes it. But you know what might happen? You know, like the Good Samaritan law, like someone's in a car crash, a doctor stops to help the person, and then the person sues the doctor. Yeah. To help. <laughs> you know that that could happen. Oh, you ruined my pictures. Oh, you know, the, get sued they, for copyright not, infringement. Yeah, yeah, they're not raw <laughs> files anymore. You, you made them JPEGs, so you have to be careful. Like, God. So here's a spin on that what if yeah. you uh, another what if what if you were out there and you found a cf card mm-hmm. um you pulled it into your computer you looked at it in lightroom or whatever software you're using and there are some stunning like award-winning images on there they're mm-hmm. just beautiful that you could you know of whatever maybe there are images of the president or images of some celebrity whatever 
what would you do with those? And, and, you know, that's what makes this story so interesting is I think that's what he did do with them. I, these were some incredible photos just taken by – and I think that was the part of the story. I mean this video that he posted, the first one had 1.6 million views on YouTube. So this whole viral video and, and just not only that but just like like you were saying found some incredible work that somebody – that it belonged to somebody and wanted to to kind of – he kind of critiqued it and, and kind of gave this critic view of it while he was going through the video and kind of made – her just as a hobbyist photographer put her in the in the spotlight i mean yeah. over a million views that's incredible yeah, so that's crazy yeah how about if someone found a memory card with lady gaga's pictures on it? <laughs> <laughs> then, then they'd really be in trouble they'd you'd, it. you'd be in trouble for even looking at the card wouldn't you right <laughs> so, that's sad all right a uh, quick announcement to the twip listeners this week in photo is looking for writers so if you can put a word or two together and form a sentence that is uh exciting and photography related we want to talk to you so if you want to participate just head over to www.thisweekinphoto.com forward slash contribute to learn more about the deal and how to apply and we'll be uh reviewing those on a weekly basis so uh if you're hearing this in the future you're still in luck. All right, guys. It is listener Q&A time. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com slash forum, and they find the best questions for us to answer on the show. All right. This week's questions are, we've got a Q&A follow-up. Looks like on um, episode 187, a listener inquired about what to do with his used photography equipment. It was uh, Dieter Zakas. He emailed us to know about it, or he emailed us about a possible solution. And I'm going to read what his response was. He says, in the area of unwanted film cameras, several options abound. One option, which I'm familiar, is to donate it to the Film Photography Podcast. It's a biweekly show about film photography out of New Jersey. The host, Michael Rosso, and his co-host, Dwayne Polko, I think I'm pronouncing that right, P-O-L-C-O-U, Give away film cameras to listeners of the podcast, and their website has a donate button, which will allow listeners to offer various items, working cameras, film, or even money, for distribution to other lucky listeners. And we'll put the link to the show to, or to the uh, website in the show notes, but it's filmphotographypodcast.com, and their email address is filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. So that's a listener and- Q&A follow-up. And you can also donate to 100cameras.org if anybody wants to. And we would definitely take used camera equipments for a good cause. So Yes, you can. We interviewed you and the 100cameras.org uh, folks on the show a while ago, Tyler. For the folks who may not have heard that interview, just give me a quick – or give them a quick rundown of what it's about. It's just a, – it's a nonprofit, and we give uh, cameras to children around the world. And we do several projects. in one in Africa, one in New York. There's one coming up next, and uh, the cameras – uh, the kids take pictures with the cameras. They never learned photography before, so they get taught uh, photography in these countries and then have them for a few weeks. And then the, all the photos are brought back to the huntercameras.org website where we sell them back and all the profits go back to the kids and their communities. So really, really – and the, the last uh, you know TWIP episode, we still get emails from TWIP photographers looking to help out. So we really support the TWIP community uh, for 
for asking and help, seeing how they can help out with the hunter cameras. So that's awesome. That's awesome. The This Week in Photo community is vast and strong. Yes, it. it is. All right. This next question is about flash interviewing with video. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one, then I'm going to turn it over to you, Catherine Hall, since you're our resident wedding photographer. This is from listener Lalo Vargas. And Lalo says, hi, guys. I'm a wedding photographer that recently moved to DSLR. I'm noticing whenever... I'm on a wedding recording video on my 60D or 5D Mark II. Every time a photographer shoots his flash, my DSLRs make this little twitch. Flashes seem to mess up the video image. This is the only negative thing I've seen on this little on these little cameras. Do any do the experts know how to fix this problem, or can it even be fixed, Catherine? Um, I'm the one that messes it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the solution is to don't show up at weddings with video that Catherine is the hired photographer at. <laughs> Go hide all the photographer's flashes. No, there's there's really nothing you can you can do. I mean, this is any any video camera. It's going to happen. It's just because unless you're shooting on film, which is going to nicely blow out the highlights and ramp it just like it would for photography for digital cinema, like these DSLRs, it's just gonna it's gonna blow that white point out and give you a completely white frame. So just you know be and this is like anything with your photographer, videographer, or, or where you are, especially on weddings, just be um, courteous of who's around you and, you know, don't get each other shots and don't, you know, shine your flash right down their cameras. And if you guys work together, I mean, everything, it'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Perfect. Question number two is from Sherwood411. And Sherwood asks, will it hurt the sensor to record a sunset with the sun in the frame? Mr. Salmon, have you done this? I have done this. I photographed. Uh, I've been photographing sunrises and sunsets with uh, digital cameras, uh, Canon digital cameras, f- since like 2000, and I haven't noticed, you know, any problems. I think another thing to think about when you're doing this is like to wear sunglasses and watch your eyes, because <laughs> yeah. you don't want, you know, you don't want to damage your eyes. But I haven't seen any sensor damage. Uh, I was in Botswana photographing these elephants at this beautiful watering hole, and the sun was sinking, and we were there for about a half hour. And I personally didn't notice uh, any damage. Uh, <clears throat> on that on that note, though, uh, and we were just talking about film, the one advantage that I can find with a film camera over a digital SLR is that when you're photographing, you know, a sunset, what happens is, of course, you should take your filter off the lens because if you don't, the the, uh, the like the ball of sun's going to go through the filter, bounce off the front element of your lens, bounce back onto the reflect back onto the, the filter. And you're going to get a ghost image, right? Mm-hmm. Well, with digital cameras, even if you have the filter off, it could bounce off that low-pass filter that's over the image sensor and bounce back onto the rear element of the lens, and you're going to get a ghost image. With film, this isn't going to happen. So uh, <clears throat> when I'm shooting, I'm thinking about and I'm looking for that. I'm using the enlarge button to see you know, where that might be, and I might move just a little because there's so much you know, gradiation. gradation. In a sunset, even cloning out a ghost image of a sun is uh, of a you know a sun or a sun, sunrise or a sunset. That ball of light is hard, but I haven't noticed uh, any damage. Although you know the camera manufacturers would probably say don't point it um, at the uh, at this at a bright light source for too long. Yeah. One thing to add to that real quick, and he had some great points, but also keep in mind um, when you're filming a sunset or a sunrise, your your light intensity is not at its peak of the sun. So you have a lot more leeway than, say, you know, middle of the day pointing your lens straight at the sun. And there's certain lenses you definitely don't want to point directly at the sun. There's Canon has like a 400 F4DO, diffracted optics, I think is what it stands for. And it definitely yep. it'll magnify 
uh, your the light and, and a lot more intense onto the sensor and, and possibly cause some damage. So I know Canon told me directly when I got that lens and from them to to test out not to ever point it directly at the sun. And but when you're dealing with sunrise and sunset, that's magic hour. The sun's a lot less uh, uh, damaging. Not th- obviously like. Rick said you always want to wear sunglasses, but to the sensor, it shouldn't, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, perfect. And can and, I just throw in one more thing? You can. Go for it. I, I hate to cut uh, Catherine off, but she's, this is actually about her. If you want to see a great sunset picture, <laughs> go to her website because I was there today, CatherineHall.net, and on her homepage. Right, Catherine? Yes, thank you. You have that beautiful sunset <laughs> in the cut tree. You me off all day. Catherine's over there. I know you're smiling right now, Catherine. <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful shot, and you're pointing the camera towards the sun, and obviously you didn't damage. So that's a very nice shot. So sorry to cut you off, but I figured it was worth it. Hey, Catherine, yeah. how did you do that? What's uh, any tips well, on how I, to do that? I wanted to touch on that with Rick. So how much can you get away of shooting directly into the sun? <laughs> because let me tell you, I've. I feel like when I was starting to do photography, I was everyone said, don't look at, directly at the sun. You'll ruin your eyes. And then I started, you get really passionate and you want the shot and you don't have sunglasses and you start kind of doing it more and more. Can you really hurt your eyes by looking through the lens straight at the sun? Because oh, I do it kind of a lot. <laughs> well, how's your vision? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, everywhere I look, I see sunspots now. But <laughs> otherwise than that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. But you know what? I'm not an expert on the damage, but uh, Frederick, uh, hopefully you'll have me back sometime. I'll find out from my friends at uh, at Canon, and I'll come back with an answer. Absolutely. You're, you're yeah, welcome in good. these parts anytime. All right, this last question is on event photography. Uh, Catherine, I want to throw it to you first, and I'll, let me read it off to you. It says, um, I need your help. I've been asked by my relatives to shoot a birthday party at night in a few days. It's going to have a red carpet-style entryway. The red carpet photos, I think, that have um, – he thinks he has them covered with his alien bees and a 28 to 135. He needs suggestions on what lens to rent for the candid shots as he'll be walking around the event says he can't bounce flash because there's no ceiling. There's a skylight roof, and the place is dark at night. What are your suggestions, and what would you do? Also, how would you photograph the people on the dance floor? Catherine? Um, if, he can, if he can only have one lens, I would go with the 2470 so that it will kind of cover all the different sort of environments you would have in that particular setting. If you could have two lenses, then I would do 2470 and the 7200. Um, as far as lighting is concerned, since there isn't a ceiling to bounce off, I would recommend having an assistant with you and it doesn't have to be a, you know, it could just be somebody that's interested in photography. don't have a big budget for the job, but somebody just to hold a big bounce card. I know it's kind of obtrusive, but having something to bounce the light off. So you're not directly hitting them in the face with the flash, um, And you making sure you use the white side of a reflector because if you use a specular side, it's going to come out really harsh. And kind of playing with that balance, making sure it's not a small too small because then the light source is small, the light's harsher. So getting that medium size reflector and using the white side to bounce off is what I would recommend. And actually, California Sun Bounce makes some units. I don't know their names offhand. But they do make some units that actually it's a rig that 
allows you to bounce off so you don't need to have an assistant. So you can check out their website as well. And you reason. and you can also use those rigs for windsurfing too if you decide you want to go out and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well no, California sunbelts make smaller ones. <laughs> yes, uh, yes they do. <laughs> Just in case you want to hang glide, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh so Tyler, did you have anything to add to this one? No, I think she nailed it. I think the 24, if you only had one lens, yeah, the 24-70s, the best. And just keep in mind if, you know, you're not, you, you don't, with the 24, shooting at 24, you don't have to be up in people's faces while they're dancing to get the shot. So it's nice to have that at a 2.8 to get, and especially in a low light. So I think that's a good option. Absolutely. Cool. All right, guys, uh, something special right now before we move into the picks of the week section. Um, I cornered Mr. Trey Radcliffe, whom calls... Mr. Salmon, the godfather of photography. <laughs> um, I cornered Trey up at the Crossroads Cafe in San Francisco last weekend. He was in doing a talk and meeting with folks or something. Um, and we had a nice conversation about his particular iPhone app. It's called uh, Tyler, ironically, 100 Cameras in One. And um, also what he's up to in terms of how he's moving away from publishing rick and i know you mentioned that you were doing the same thing you know tradi- yep. traditional book publishing uh, publishing in some ways and moving more into the digital arena so sit back and uh, have a listen to this short interview with mr trey radcliffe i'm here in san francisco with mr trey radcliffe here um we decided that we're going to do a quick interview he's up here making his little rounds and pollinating different areas of the city and I caught him pollinating. Pollinating. I caught him at <laughs> Crossroads. This is a Crossroads Cafe here on the yep. Embarcadero. Right. He's drinking Crossroads <laughs> Crossroads coffee. It's bitter. It's bitter, like some people we know. And um, we're going to do an interview and talk about what he's been up to and what's going on in the the world of stuck and customs. Hey, Trey. Hello, Fred. Where you been? What's going on? Um, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I'm having fun. Just got back from uh, uh, an 80-day trip around the world. A Around lot of the photos. world in 80 days. Only oh. Trey Redcliffe, right? <laughs> no, no. It, anyone can do it, really. It just takes yeah. a little bit of planning. and mm-hmm. not, doesn't have to be super expensive. Planning is one thing, but funds and time are the other two legs of that tripod. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, that was a very nice trip. It was wonderful. I love to travel, of course, uh, but I think everybody does. Yeah. And it, um, it kind of keeps me fresh, keeps me inspired for photography, and it's a nice... It's a nice um, it's a nice life. Yeah, yeah. So travel. You, I know you. There's like I have this piece of paper with all the things that you've been up to on it, oh. just so I can keep track. Um, let's start with the stuck and custom. So, yep. so for the folks that don't know, aren't familiar with the site, and haven't been there, what is stuckandcustoms.com, and why is it why is it on the web? Um, so stuckandcustoms.com is a is a photo blog. Mm-hmm. I started it about five or six years ago. And, um, you know, you do these, this stuff for the love of it. Mm-hmm. And insofar as other people notice, that's great. And that's kind of gravy. But any big blog uh, nowadays, if you look at the history of it, the first two years, no one notices. Yeah. Um, you, you just do it for the love of it. Mm-hmm. And you iterate and you get better and, and so on and so forth. And, and now we're finally to the point where we have uh, over... 200,000 uniques per month. Wow. Uh, we just passed 50 million photo views. Um, so we have this uh, incredible me- momentum, a great uh, community. And the, the nature of the blog is such that uh, it's not like, ooh, look at this picture, aren't I cool? That's, that's dumb, I think. It's more 
the, the photo is a starting point for a conversation because mm-hmm. everyone brings their own experience, their own history. Uh, we have so many photographers that come on there. They post links to their work. And then also I, I share my techniques. I talk about how I took the shot. Um, it's just sort of a, a, a beginning of a new conversation every day. So every day a new photo, a new conversation. It that, gives me energy. That gets me because you, you, every single day you post something new. Every there. day. Regardless of where you are on this planet, something new yep. builds up every day. It's, uh, it's hard work. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I am off the grid. You know, mm-hmm. you go to places where there's just no internet. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I know that's going to happen, I will go ahead and, and preload a few blog entries for a few days. Just so that something comes up at midnight every day. But otherwise, I'm out there every day um, on the day doing it. Is that when you post midnight? Is the target yeah, well, hour? Yeah, midnight... Um, Austin time. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Midnight is uh, objective, I guess. It, it but, is. Uh, it is. But I think it is important to be in some sort of a, a pattern. And also, you know, there's this... Uh, I don't take a photo every day, necessarily. I know there's people that preach you should try to take a photo every day. I don't like that. I think that can be bad because that can force you into somewhat of an artificial schedule. I think you should be creative and take photos or do post-processing when the muse visits. Yeah. And whenever that muse visits, you can be incredibly productive do a lot of different things and then kind of store them like nuts for the winter and then post those every day so that was my next question that's so that's what you do you're not you're not okay you're in san francisco you go out and do a bunch of photos okay now i have to pick one i'm going to post tonight you're posting photos that you may have shot and you may have photographed a year ago right oh, yeah absolutely in my Lightroom at home i have uh, forty thousand unprocessed photos wow and so i have these uh moments where i do feel inspired and i I sit in front of my monitors at home and I uh, turn out the lights and I light candles and I, I listen to music and drink tea and, and just process photos. Chocolate. And I, and I uh, chocolate, of course, a little gourmet <laughs> chocolate, the finer things in life. I know chocolate's good for you. It does something, gives you a little tingly in the back of your head. Yes. I, I, uh, yeah. There's more to it than just chocolate. I, I'm magic. very serious about my chocolate. I know you are. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and then I process a lot, and then I kind of store those, and then every day I do a new photo, but it's, uh, I post a new photo, and I try to jump around to different places or different scenes, mm-hmm. so it's not the same thing. I like to keep some variety. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about the business of Stuck in Customs. Okay. So you mentioned, what, 200,000 uniques uh-huh. per month? You're monetizing that, right? Which is how yep. you're able to keep traveling and how you're able to be here, you know, that yep. kind of thing. So talk to me about the business. What, what is, what's the business model behind Stuck in Customs? Well, we have about um, six or seven revenue streams, mm-hmm. um, and we learn as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's extremely profitable. I feel very fortunate. Um, it more than pays for um, all the travel and all my goodies and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I have kids and a wife and, you know... A lot of expenses when you're a responsible grown-up, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's no shortage of expenses. As, a, as opposed to an irresponsible grown-up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, it's really worked out well. What I do, though, is I, I basically put almost everything out there for free. Mm-hmm. 99% of people will never pay for a thing, and that's fine. You know, I p- upload a huge resolution photo every day. <laughs> Um, it's all Creative Commons. People can reblog this stuff on there. They can use wallpaper, whatever they want to do. Um, but I find about 1% of people are curious enough to find out more to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, either they'll do something like they'll, they'll buy an ebook or um, they will uh, get a, uh, they'll see my free HDR tutorial, but they might actually want to see me do it on video and then we sell that. Yeah. Um, 
So that's that's one of the revenue streams. Yep. Another one is we we license photos, mm-hmm. um, and we we treat all licensees equal. Um, you know, we have about uh, nine employees uh, at the company. Uh, I'm just sort of the creative guy. That's that's I just stick to the creative. But we have accounting and licensing, and we have 24 hour support, and wow. we have all this stuff going. It's a real on. business. Uh, yeah, it's it's serious. It's yeah. serious business. Um, uh, but like for example, our licensing. Um, and we could do even better in our licensing. We're not very proactive about it at all. We're reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, we get about five emails a day. People want to license photos. And so we, whether it's a, a little cleaners on the corner that wants to buy a photo of New York for $100, we treat them the same as uh, we just had a big company in Asia contact us, and they're building all these centers. And, mm-hmm. and we struck a deal to license photos for uh, you know, a lot like a quarter million dollars, more wow. more than that, mm-hmm. and then we get a lot in the middle for a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't use Getty. I was Getty uh, many years ago, but I I thought that is highway robbery. They take seventy percent, and that's that's wrong. You know, yeah. I, I'm the creator of this stuff. I made it. It's mine. Right. Why do they get seventy percent for just being a middleman and redistributing it? Yeah. Uh, I that's, think that's why because they distribute it. Not not everyone has the Radcliffe network or the Second Customs network, right? Well, no, that's that's true. But I think Getty is uh, a dinosaur, mm-hmm. and the new Getty is Google, and the barn doors are wide open, wow. and now anyone can jump on Google and do it, a Google image search. And uh, if they see an interesting photo, they'll just go ahead and contact the, the photographer directly. Yeah. Um, that is the future. It's a, a, dis, a disintermediation of these middle uh, people that don't do anything but redistribute traffic in an extremely inefficient way. Yeah. Uh, the relationship should be directly between the buyer and the seller. And that connection is made through Google. So you mentioned a minute ago that you upload these high-resolution versions of your images online. They're not right. watermarked. They're nope. They're and that's I heresy. hate watermarks. That's heresy, you know, to a lot of photographers, like especially yeah. say a wedding photographer. Right. They're going to put giant watermarks on there and all kinds of things, you know, so that to to prohibit the the sale of their or the the unauthorized use of their photography. Why do you feel it's okay to put yours up there? And let anyone take it. They can put it on their desktop. They can do whatever yeah. they want. Well, um, it's fine if other photographers wanted to put watermarks. But whenever I look at a photo with a watermark, all I can think about is the watermark. It, it really takes up too much of my mind. I want to experience the photo and drink it in and let the art wash over me. And if I see some big old brand down there, it just it, it bothers me a little bit. Now, I find that um, when I put up full res versions the thing is Fred that legitimate companies don't steal Mm -hmm. right you don't have big companies out there stealing my stuff and using it for commercial purposes yeah it just doesn't happen now illegitimate companies do steal sure but they're so tiny they're so pissant um, you know they're not even worth suing just just let them those are the bottom feeders and I call that the uh, the cost of doing internet business okay you can't retain a hundred percent of your inventory Right, you can't be like a, a guy that runs a Seven Eleven that's always worried about every little Tic Tac box being stolen. Yeah. Right, the stuff stuff gets stolen. Yeah, yeah. And that's just what happens, especially on the internet. Yeah, it's all digital. It's bits. Yeah. And if you spend all your time uh, motivated by fear rather than motivated by the opportunity of what can be, it makes some fundamental different choices in the way you you present yourself to the world. And we've decided to go in a very open way, 
and it, it's what makes sense. I largely uh, trust people. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, legitimate people, legitimate companies, uh, contact us in the logical way, in the rational way. And I have faith that the universe will continue to unfold as it's supposed to unfold in a logical, orderly way, with a little bit of chaos here and there, but I don't worry about it. Good. Good. Okay. So, uh, just a slight tangent on that. Your blog, uh-huh. the size of your blog. <laughs> so it yes. Is, <laughs> it's huge. It's gigantic. Your right. newsletter, gigantic. Right. What's behind that? Why? Why? You know, the normal well, like what is it? Eight hundred pixels wide or something, yeah. or a thousand if you're really aggressive. Yours right. is like what five thousand? Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, the main part of the blog is about nine hundred pixels wide. But then we take the side columns in; it's about uh, thirteen or fourteen hundred wide. Yeah. But we did this on purpose. We decided to just target people with high bandwidth, big monitors, high resolution type stuff. Yeah. Well, these largely uh, these these are people that um, have decent income. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are uh, enthusiasts. Um, and I want my stuff presented as big and bold as possible because that's the most impressive. If you look at sites like The Big Picture and mm-hmm. you know, they're 1024 across, yep. this is how people want to experience art big and bold. And rather than try to uh, accommodate every grandmother's computer in the world, mm-hmm. right? We just we stuck to the high end, uh, people that want to experience art. Uh, I, I'm more interested in... Uh, in um, in that, then I am making everybody happy. You have to make choices. Yep. And we just decided to go this route. So let's talk about the reconciling business versus photography. Hmm. Like, does your does the business of Stuck in Customs drive the photography or the artisanship, or does the artisanship drive the business and money uh, is a side effect? No, it's it's always the art first. Mm-hmm. The art and the creativity always comes first. Everyone at the company knows this. Mm-hmm. That's by far the most important thing. Now, I I have two hats that I wear, the creative hat and the business hat. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the creative hat, I go out and I shoot what I want to shoot when I want to shoot it. If there's someplace I want to go, I go. I pay for the tickets myself. I don't work for clients. And I give no thought as to whether or not it's marketable or I might be able to sell it someday. If I think it's awesome, I go do it. Um, If I... Sometimes I might choose to spend several weeks working on some new video idea. I don't. I, I give zero thought as to whether or not it's marketable. If it's interesting to me, I do it. I share it with the world, That's and then later I come back and think, well, is there a way to monetize this? Is there not? See, that's, um, that's interesting because that's, that's almost contrarian to because you're I consider you one of the leaders in photography in terms of understanding internet marketing and how to reach out to people using that medium and standard internet marketing doctrine states that before you make any moves you survey the audience you find out what they want then you build that thing and give it to them and you're saying you don't do that you just do whatever Trey wants and then if people like it they like it if not whatever well, I, don't, I don't believe in focus groups I don't believe in any uh, of these uh, supposed uh, conventional wisdoms when it comes to marketing. I think that um, that's one reason a lot of conventional marketing fails. And a lot of times if you look at the best uh, amalgamated advice from a a series of marketers, Mm -hmm. uh, you end up getting these decisions by committee. And that's why you never see a statue of a committee. What you need to do is have some like kind it. of uh, original thought and something that feels inspirational, something that feels right, and you just go with it, yeah. right? 
And but see, what you're only seeing, Fred, you're only seeing my successes. Yeah. But I am constantly iterating. I'm constantly trying things, and I'm constantly making mistakes. Mm-hmm. But I leave the mistakes behind. I forgive myself, and then I iterate more on the successes while trying new things. And nowadays, on the internet, you can iterate so quickly on ideas, yeah. and uh, and uh, I think that's the way to do it. So let's talk about photography. And speaking of ideas, how do you how do you get your ideas for some of these shots? And you're, for mm-hmm. example, say you're in Japan, and I've seen a lot of your Japan shots. Do you have a, a plan in mind, or do you just throw the tripod with the yeah. camera on it over your shoulder and go out and, and capture? Well, um, so here's an here's an interesting idea, and something I've taken to the past few years is what I do is I always have a few highlights that I want to hit, mm-hmm. but I don't over Clark Griswold my trip. You know, mm-hmm. I don't schedule it down. Yep. I leave plenty of free time to get lost and explore. And what I've taken to doing recently is uh, wearing these big old earphones, these Audio-Technica earphones, which mm-hmm. are like Bose, but they're half the price, and I listen to music. And it doesn't matter what kind of music you listen to, but I think the two most important sensory inputs that come into you are uh, visual and audio. Mm-hmm. Right? You have five senses, but those are the two most important at that time. Yep. And they're very closely connected. And so if you're walking around and you're hearing the shuffle of your feet and ambient conversation in cars or planes or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, that ties you very closely to that moment. And I don't think that's good because you lose perspective in a way because it's so immediate, it's so there, it's suddenly not timeless. Yeah. And so if you can, if you can make a, a wall in between um, what you see and what you hear, then everything almost seems cinematic. And you can take objects and people and you can separate them from their time. They become timeless and you can see them in a new light. And so that has helped me produce some very interesting photos uh, because I'm not so lost in the moment it becomes a little bit more artistic and artful for me. Have you ever considered taking it to the next level and displaying those images along with the soundtrack that inspired them? Um, well, Or a link to the iTunes uh, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I recently, well, yeah, it's, it's hard though because uh, the presentation mechanism. Yeah. 99% of people just go to a blog or look at pictures and just scroll past the pictures. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see a video with, like a, with a play button on it, it's kind of hard to press it because you're like, I don't have four minutes to give this video. Sure. Uh, and that's the only way to start playing music behind a photo. Except for this video. Uh, well, except for this one. Yeah. When you got to click on it, <laughs> people course. are happy to have it. Um, anything Fred does, you should click on. That's right. Um, Gold, Midas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that uh, uh, audio and video is very, in- or audio and photos are very interesting together. I just did an experiment because uh, I came back from this trip with uh, thousands and thousands of photos, mm-hmm. and I made this little video called "80 Days, 8,000 Photos," mm-hmm. and I jammed them all into uh, a really short four-minute time period where you just see photo after photo after photo, yep. and I put music in the background. And, that came out kind of interesting. I don't know what it is, but it's just one of those experimental things sure. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art. Okay, let's let's talk about some of the new the new projects that are yeah. that you're working on. Yeah. Uh, the first one is um, let's talk about 100 cameras. Yes. This is an iPhone app that or iPad app, sorry, that you put together and iPhone and iPad. It's iPhone and iPad. It's an iApp yep. that you put together that. Uh, let's say it's entering a space that is extremely crowded already. What yep. what did Trey think that he could bring to the table that wasn't already there? Well, um, I refuse to talk about myself as a third person like that. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, second person. Um, so <laughs> please refer to yourself as Trey right. from now on. <laughs> um, 
So there are a lot of photography apps out there. Yeah. And I would actually say uh, to the audience of, of TWIP uh, that uh, they may enjoy some of the more hardcore type apps out there like Camera Plus or these sorts of things because um, they're used to having a lot of tools and a lot of control and they're, they're used to the more of the Photoshop kind of world, right? Mm -hmm. Where they have a picture and they have a ton of tools and they can do anything. Yep. However, I know from a lot of the audience that's stuck in customs, it just generally that once you get outside of that bubble, mm -hmm. that most people, they don't know what to do, right? Yep. And so we did our app in a completely different way. Um, we made it such that um, we give you a, a tactile sense, so you swipe through photos. We have a hundred different filters, and so very, very quickly you can see what you like. Yeah. It's more like, uh, you know, if you go get wedding invitations, they don't, you don't get a blank piece of paper and they say, draw your wedding invitation, right? right. They show you samples. Starting points. Like, or if you're picking a countertop, they show you 10 different countertops. You're like, oh, I like, kind of like that. And that's how most people choose what they like. Yeah. So we have this swatch sort of methodology. We don't have tools. We don't overwhelm you with choice. It's a very clean, elegant UI. Yeah. So we decided to go different in that way. Very cool. And that's available now, right? Yeah, it's available. It was doing a very. It goes up and down the charts. At mm -hmm. some point, we reached uh, number eight. We were only a few slots from Angry Birds. Wow! Um, so it's doing very, very Don't well. Make those birds angry. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them at work. <laughs> yeah, so we're happy with that thing. All right, uh, and then the other, the other thing that I think this is the most recent addition to the Stuck and Customs family, and that's Flatbooks, right? And that's a, yeah. a bookstore <laughs> that you're launching. What's what's the deal with that? Well, it launched about a month ago, and we, uh, I've been doing eBooks now for a while. I did a traditional book. Um, called A World in HDR with Peach Pit, and mm -hmm. that did fantastic. Um, it uh, actually sold out on Amazon in the UK, US, Canada, mm -hmm. and Australia. It did great. Um, and it made good money for Peach Pit and me and whatever. Uh, but then I thought, well, I'll just try ebooks and see yeah. what's going on with ebooks. I keep hearing about them. Mm -hmm. So I wrote three or four, and uh, they just went crazy. I mean, they completely swamped all the profit that I made from their traditional book. Really? I thought, wow, this is this is really something here. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started getting contacted by other authors that had expertise in interesting areas, and yeah. they said, can we write an e-book and distribute it through you? And I said, yeah. You know. and so we started this flatbooks.com, and it says Flatbooks, a Stuck in Customs product. Mm -hmm. And so there we sell a lot of different e-books now, and it's, uh, it's going crazy. We love That's it. Cool. It's fun. And uh, it's a great way for people just to get the thing is, right, no one has time to read a 300-page book anymore. Right. Uh, things are changing. Now people can actually read a 40- or 50-page book. Mm -hmm. And authors, frankly, here's one of the dirty secrets about traditional books. Most of those books could be 50 pages. Yeah. But you got to fill them up with a lot of BS so that they look thick enough on the shelf to be worthy of your 30 or $40. That's right, yeah. But it's, it's all a big game. And yeah. people have been lied to for dozens and dozens of years. And now we can just get the core of certain ideas right into people's brains. How do, you, how do you reconcile Trey, the print author, who had a wildly successful book through yeah. Peach Pit Press, yeah. to now Trey going from being print author to, in some ways, being in competition with the publisher? Well, I have no trouble reconciling it at all. You know, the, the human ability to justify one thing versus another is infinite. It is. <laughs> Living proof uh, right here. <laughs> well, look, the, the plain fact of the matter is I, lo I love Peach Pit. I, I don't have any problem with those guys, and yeah. we, all, we all made a lot of money off that thing. Yeah. Uh, but times are a-changing, and I get a lot more traffic on my website than Peach Pit gets on theirs. Yeah. And um, I don't need them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I can do it myself. Wow. Uh, we have such a big audience. Uh, they're so hungry for knowledge. 
Uh, we've got a lot of it to share. We're always learning new things, yeah, right? Yeah. Especially nowadays. I mean, I make huge breakthroughs every six months. And not just me, so do all these other people. Yeah. So there's a better way to distribute information. It doesn't have to take a year and a half to get a book out. It's instant. It's wonderful. Yeah, we had uh, on This Week in Photo, I had Rick Salmon and Derek Story on. Mm-hmm. And they both on that show sort of proclaimed that they were moving away from doing Print-related books, just for those very pr- right. those, those the yeah. very reasons that you described there. They're right on. Uh, Derek doing more video with Lynda.com and more multimedia, and Rick Salmon is app happy. You know, yep. he's doing apps left and right, and he's a guy that penned dozens of books. You know, yep. so he's a veteran book writer that's making a jump into apps. Is that that's the right direction to go? Are we seeing the end of books, or are they going to be kind of like well, you know, borders? <laughs> books will be around because. There's still a nice feeling to holding books. Mm-hmm. They'll become a little bit of a luxury, um, not something you have to have. Like getting a letter in the mail uh, versus an email kind of thing? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Oh, it's so special to get a handwritten letter. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. So it's not quite like that because that's very personal. But um, it's something a little bit elegant, maybe a little bit eccentric. Or maybe if you have a favorite book, right? You put it there and it reminds you because we still are humans and we like to touch physical things yes. and have physical uh, things around us to fill our to fill our world as we walk around this 3D environment. Right. So in that sense there will always be some books but only the most special ones will you have real copies of. Excellent. So what, what's next for Trey? What's next for Stuck in Customs? Well um, we'll just kind of keep doing the same thing. I, we have a lot of projects going on. It's all for fun. Um, you know it's all kind of uh, gravy at this point. Um, uh, I can't talk about some of the really awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, sure, you can. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've got all kinds of ideas, and we get approached by all kinds of parties nowadays. And yeah, and um, what about workshops? Anything like that coming up? Um, no, I don't really consider myself a workshop kind of guy. You, you know, did we, some last year, though, right? We did two last year. We did yeah. one in uh, Tokyo and London. Didn't like it? Um, no, I love it. I love connecting with these people. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. But they don't they don't scale very well. Um, and mine are usually kind of... The the workshops? <laughs> uh, the workshops don't scale very well. I, I don't want to do the kind that have, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in them because I, I do like the one-on-one. So it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we might try some new things this year along those lines because people want to learn. I don't really consider myself a, a teacher. I like to teach and I like to connect with people, but it's not really my, you know, raison d'etre. I like... Um, I do. I don't know. It's hard to say. I like so many things. There's yeah. not enough time in the world, but I, I do love teaching, and and um, I don't think I'm a great teacher because I teach differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I because I, I think about it all differently. I don't like the way uh, photography is typically taught to people. Yeah, I think they t- people too much depend on like a step by step process for solving a certain problem, mm-hmm. but you never see the same problem. And if you make people think that there is a step-by-step solution to getting through a problem that makes them gun-shy, mm-hmm. I think, to solve their own problems. Yeah. So I like the idea of uh, coming up with new problem-solving techniques, sort of a Socratic way, because uh, that's, I mean, even me, I, I process, you know, tons and tons of photos, and I very rarely see the exact same situation twice. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a long way Very of saying good. I don't know. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, we'll keep an eye. Where where should folks go? Stuckincustoms.com to yeah. keep up with you and, yeah. and your antics and all yeah. that stuff? Or uh, at Trey Ratcliffe on Twitter. 
awesome. both those things are fine. Awesome. Yep. Trey, thanks for taking time out during sure. this beautiful Saturday afternoon in San Francisco. Yeah, it's a little chilly, but it is, <laughs> it is beautiful, though. It's still. okay. Yeah. It's getting chilly and warm and chilly and warm, but yeah, yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, dude. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was Mr. Trey Radcliffe, as you heard, and you can find out more about Trey at his website, stuckincustoms.com, all about him and HDR and all that magic stuff that he's involved with. All right, guys, now it's time for the picks of the week. This is that time in the show where each guest gives their pick. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. And Rick, you want to take the first one? Yeah, uh, I've been using lately this Rogue Flash Bender. It's from Expo Imaging. And, the, you know, we we're talking about the event photography. This is like a it's great, it's not really a flash diffuser because the light doesn't go through it, but it softens the light. It, it attaches to your flash with Velcro, and you could bend it uh, in all different shapes to direct the light. But mainly what it does is it makes the light bigger. And uh, as we know, you know, the larger the light, the softer the light. Yeah. Uh, so it softens the light. Also, you could uh, you could fold it up. I have it in my hand like a cone here so you could get like spotlighting. So it's, it's really fun and, and really good and affordable. Awesome. Very good. I think someone mentioned that on a previous show as well. So you're giving mm-hmm. it another thumbs up of approval. And that, that definitely goes well with what Catherine was saying about, you know, diffusing yeah. the lights, especially if you need to be mobile and on the dance floor and all that. So definitely check it out. Catherine Hall, what is your pick of the week? Well, Nick Software just came out with Silver Effects Pro 2, and it's so much fun. And the images that I've been getting from it are just coming out really beautifully. It's basically I, one of the biggest struggles for me from going from film to digital was the black and white conversion. And I started off in the black room, dark room, excuse me printing black and white photos and that whole art and craft of it. And uh, Anyway, the Silver FX Pro is bringing back a lot of the control and quality that I experienced in the black and white realm in the darkroom to the digital era. And this next version of Silver FX really takes it to the next level. And it's just really inspiring and fun. So I would definitely check it out. And they have, you can demo it. Um, and then going with that, they also have came out with HDR. I don't know, Rick, do you know when they came out with HDR a couple months ago? Yeah, that's been out uh, about two or three months. It's awesome. Yeah. And I was actually, it's perfect timing, but I was checking out Rick's blog, or excuse me, the Godfather's blog. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were at his blog, Kissing the Ring, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> info, And he has a whole post that's current that was posted today, I believe. Yeah, Saturday. Um and it goes through and shows a lot of the HDR and the silver effects. So you can check out his blog and see visually instant results kind of showing what these plugins can do for you. Very so. cool. All right. Nick Software Silver Effects Pro. We'll link to all this in the show notes for this particular episode. And Tyler, what is your pick of the week? Um, I wanted to pick the GoPro HD helmet cam. And a lot of people think of this as a video-only tool, but... Out at uh, Montana on Snow Guardians, we use this thing like crazy for both video, photo, and time lapse. And it actually takes, what a lot of people don't know, it's waterproof 5 megapixel camera with a 2.8 aperture. So if you're shooting in daylight, this thing does insane job. And it's so super wide that you can either mount it to yourself or 
mounted to um, whatever to kind of get either a behind-the-scenes video or some really cool photos if you're doing a lot of action stuff. We actually mounted them to the ski patrol dogs, and they were digging up people in the avalanches doing practice and stuff, and we had them on the back of the dogs, and it was running around, and we got video of that. And then my friend uh, Vincent Lumfred actually uses a lot for behind-the-scenes on his the work he's been doing lately, and he'll mount it up to cameras and stuff because there's this whole market that a lot of photographers, once they start getting bigger, people want to know – what they're doing and how, what kind of gear they're using and things like that. So there's a lot of ways you can use your iPhone and things like that. But I think this is a really cool perspective view of what you're doing either behind the scenes or to get, uh, to get some really cool photos. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. And my pick of the week is, uh, you know, it's not necessarily photography related, but it kind of is. This is a little piece of software called Instapaper. Is, are you guys familiar with this? Yes, All right. I am. All right. Well, for those who aren't familiar with Instapaper, it is not Insta. You know, it's not the other Insta. It is this particular little piece of application is um, basically allows you to search around the web or hunt around the web. Say you're on your favorite blogs in the morning and you find all these stories that you want to read, but you just don't have time to read them right now. Well, you can you can save a little snippet to your to the your toolbar in your browser and click it. And what it will do is on the back end, it'll reformat that article. It'll, it's smart enough to pull just the text part of that article out and reformat it so that later you can read it. It's almost like it formats it as a book. So if I'm on Rick Salmon's site and I see an article that I want to read, I can, and that's ricksalmon.info, um, I, can, <laughs> I can go to Rick's site, find the article, click the read later button and then later from either my iPhone or my iPad or on my computer, whatever browser I happen to be in, I can go back and read a reformatted version of that. That's, that's designed to be really easy to read. So basically I'm creating miniature eBooks all over the, uh, all over the web that just get queued up into my iPad or my iPhone for me to read later. So, and it's it's free. It's completely free. And it's, uh, it's amazing. They just released a version 3.0. I think it was either yesterday or the day before that adds all sorts of sharing features in there, too. So if we four are on Instapaper and I'm, I'm liking all these different articles that I like about photography, you guys can see exactly what I'm reading right now instead of, you know, having to hunt around for yourself. So it's kind of it's, it's really powerful and it really kind of changes the way that I use my iPad in, in many ways. And then the other piece of my uh, my pick is I just wanted to to point to that 100 cameras in one app that uh, we mentioned in that Trey Radcliffe interview. So have a have a look at that. It's pretty interesting. Basically, the gist of it is it's a it's an app uh, that lets you take photos, I mean, like many other photo apps out there. But this one has a different spin on it. it lets you take photos, and then it generates 100 sort of permutations. Rick, you'll remember back in the old days, we called it a ring around, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, you take a central image and then permutations of that image spawn off from that. And then you pick mm-hmm. the one that you want to go with and post it online. So, so have a look at that. Cool. All right. We are at the end of another This Week in Photo, guys. Catherine, oh. Catherine Hall, where, at, where are you at online? You can find me on my website, katherinehall.net, and that's spelled with a C. And then also on Twitter, Catherine underscore Hall. All right. Rick Salmon, as if people don't know by now, <laughs> where, where can you be found online? 
Well, first, I want to thank you seriously. You know, I joke around all the time. I don't take myself seriously. But seriously, I really love being on the show. I learn a lot from all your shows and this show particularly. So I want to thank you and, and the other guests for, uh, you know, sharing this time. So it, it, it was a lot of fun. And people can find me at aginggracefullyphotographer.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that that's a sister site to one foot in the grave dot com, right? Yeah, there you go. I prefer the godfather dot com. There you go. It's awesome. All right, Rick is at ricksalmon dot info or twitter dot com slash ricksalmon. All right, Tyler, where are you at online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Ginter. My blog's at tylerginter dot com, and then. For if you want to follow anything that's going on with this documentary for Snow Guardians, uh, collaborativefilm.org. Awesome. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and so much more. And also, don't forget, if you're interested in writing or reporting on the photography industry for TWIP, head over to thisweekinphoto.com forward slash contribute. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.